People think I'm damaged goods. I'm worried about losing my job. Will I ever get a transplant? I want to see my children graduate from college. How can I afford this? I don't want to be a burden. I'm afraid. I'm overwhelmed with information. Sometimes I wonder if I'll ever fall in love and get married. I just want to play with my friends. You're listening to Kidney Talk, streaming health, happiness, and hope to the renal community with your hosts, Lori Hartwell and Stephen First. Well, welcome to another show of Kidney Talk. Uh, We have another great patient advocate on the show today, and his name is Rich Berkowitz. Uh, He is founder of an organization called Next Stage Users, uh, which is a 501c3 organization. And uh, he's basically a pioneer in helping organize patients on home dialysis. So uh, welcome to the show, Rich. Thank you, Lori. Well, tell us a little bit about uh, about yourself and um, uh, how you learned you had kidney failure. Well, I was actually on the phone with a client when I uh, I felt a pain on my, my left side. And uh, having had... Uh, kidney stones about 20 years before, and my brother having had kidney stones recently, I said, oh dear, I've got kidney stones again. And so I ended up uh, finally getting to the hospital, and they did a CAT scan, and they said, well, you don't have kidney stones. However, you have a growth. I said, oh, okay. And uh, over the next week, I was recovering from some pneumonia, and uh, before I knew it, I, um, of course, I was having tests during that period as well, and, and they believed it was renal cell carcinoma. And in about a week, um, they basically uh, took out my kidneys, so I had a radical nephrectomy. So the cancer was in both kidneys? No, it was just in one, but I did have a history of adult uh, hypertension. And so in about four and a half years after that, my other kidney finally went and I started dialysis, which was kind of interesting because I actually asked to go on dialysis because I was getting so tired. I was practically sleeping 18 hours a day. So you started dialysis, and I guess transplant wasn't really an option at the time because of the renal carcinoma. Well, actually, you're you're right. I had it. Well, no, it was was, quite frankly, it, it probably wasn't an issue because it was nearly five years after my diagnosis. So um, by the time I got onto the list, uh, I would have been able to get a kidney at that time and and probably would have had a transplant, but uh, in the uh, next several years, I, I, I decided that I didn't really want a transplant, and that primarily was because of the renal cell carcinoma and the fact that I thought that the immunosuppressives would not uh, treat me very well. So um, I decided that, especially after being at home for, for several years and, and actually being doing quite well doing home dialysis, I just decided that I could live with this for the rest of my life. It was just kind of like fitting into my schedule. And uh, I did do... Uh, dialysis in center for three years, which was uh, not what I wanted to do, and I did have a heart attack driving home from dialysis, which convinced me even that much more that in-center dialysis wasn't for me, and uh, and kind of uh, 
led me into the direction of thinking that uh, we should get more people on home as well because a lot of people are in center and just getting more and more debilitated each each day as they come along. So you started then um, doing home dialysis. You brought the next stage machine home. I started first doing in center for three years. Then I went and did and, and brought my uh, next stage machine home. Now, did you name your machine? I, I actually did. Um, I named it uh, Karma, and uh, or was it Karma or whatever. And that was basically a combination of the two nurses that were training me, Carmi and Irma. So, <laughs> so, uh, and I didn't want to show favorites at that time. So I named it after both of them. So after you started home dialysis, um, how long did it take you to feel better? Oh, almost immediately. I mean, there was such a change. And, uh, and, and the first thing that came to mind, besides feeling well, was I got home, and I, I do live in the Chicago area, and I started in February, and I was saying, oh, my goodness, I don't have to get up at 5.30 in the morning and into the cold and snow to get over to the dialysis center. So that was kind of great. Yeah, that would be a, that would be a perk. <laughs> and uh, one benefit that I wasn't even thinking about, and, um, but I did start feeling much better right away, and, and the difference between in-center and home was just a magnitude of 10. And uh, about two and a half years after I did short daily, I actually started doing nocturnal at home. And once again, another tremendous magnitude of difference between nocturnal and short daily. So with this you know, newfound freedom being on home dialysis, that was why... You created Next Stage users to help share the message with other patients? Well, uh, I, I was actually asked to start the group by another person. We, a, a bunch of us were members of another group, and there were some people who were unhappy with it. So um, they said, Rich, why don't you start a new group? And I said, are you crazy? I don't want to start another group. And the next day I did. <laughs> and, 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 and the rest was kind of history. So I, I learned you're going to be changing your name to Home Dialysers. Home Dialyzers United. Home Dialyzers United. Yeah, one, one of the things is that uh, we recognize there's other people uh, doing home dialysis besides people on Next Stage. And, and we also anticipate that there will be other machines coming along. And, and also, uh, not that we plan on and doing it immediately, but we're going to be assimilating PD patients and patients in as well. Uh, there's a lot of issues that relate just to people on home, and and we kind of want to focus on that. Um, one, there there's several reasons why. One is that I mean I hope as many people can get a transplant as possible, whoever wants one, but, but we kind of recognize that um, there's the, the amount of transplants per year has kind of stagnated at about 16,000, and, and we believe that there's ways that we can increase that number, but, but right now you basically have a 50-50 split between uh, live donors and cadavers. And uh, we can't we can't really expect the number of cadavers to to grow by all that 
much. And with only about 80,000 people on the transplant list, um, we, we have, you know, about 270,000-plus people in center. And, and a lot of those people uh, probably were on the list before, and because they've gotten debilitated, they're now on the inactive list. So what we're trying to affect is trying to get more people home from the in-center population because we believe, just like it's affected me and a lot of other people that are in the group, that their lives will change dramatically and that they can really live a quality life. Well, and the benefit of going home is that you can do more frequent treatments, and that leads to what makes you feel a little bit better. Well, that's one of the things that makes you feel better. I mean, the... The, the positive effect of doing more frequent treatments is that you're able to maintain your uh, dry weight a lot better so you don't have the peaks and valleys of so much fluid. And, uh, and of course, when people are getting uh, fluid overload, that has a tremendous impact on their hearts. And, and one of the reasons why... Uh, many people have uh, an instant heart attack or a sudden heart attack on the first day after the long weekend. So by having, by, by doing more frequent dialysis, you're cutting down on that as well. But there's there's lots of other reasons why the outcomes are a lot better doing home. And uh, you know, just just in terms of being able to remove toxins on on a more frequent basis. Um, unfortunately, I don't think people do dialysis long enough to really get the benefit of being able to normalize their phosphorus and potassium. Phosphorus especially because uh, most people who are doing nocturnal dialysis or extended dialysis don't have to take binders. And phosphorus is comfort food. I don't know. but uh... Lots of comfort foods that I don't have to worry about anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Probably one of the, one of the things that's probably one of the reasons for my waist being as, as large as it is. Um, but I remember when my phosphorus got down to 1.8, the first thing my nephrologist said to me was, well, go ahead and start eating some ice cream. And I said, are you crazy? Look at my body. I can't do that. A Diet Coke might be better choice, right? It is kind of nice to be able to have a banana a day and, and have cheeses and, and not really worry so much about what you're eating. It's, uh, you know, other than the fact you're on dialysis, of course, nobody wants to be on dialysis. Uh, you can live a quote-unquote normal life. Uh, but I'm not sure who lives a normal life anyway, so I'm not even sure what the definition of normal is. And you saw that your appetite improved, too. I mean, I know that um, a lot of times people don't want to eat because, you know, when you have a lot of uremia in your blood, it, it kind of tricks your your body to thinking you're not hungry. Oh, my appetite definitely improved. Uh, but the other thing was that, uh, not that my appetite was ever very bad, but it was the whole idea that I wasn't restricted in terms of what I was able to eat or drink for that matter. But interestingly enough, uh, when I uh, first started dialysis, the first thing I cut out was colas because of the phosphorus in it and really haven't gone back to it. I've, I've gotten used to drinking other things. 
And and the other thing is, uh, I'm not very thirsty anymore. Where I was, uh, of course, when I was doing dialysis in center, the first thing that I would do would be I'd go back home and open up a two-liter bottle of soda and just started gulping it because I was so dehydrated. And and now, and, and of course, the other thing was that the recovery time was very, very long. Uh, after a while, it got to the point where I would get back home from dialysis, and sometimes it took a couple hours because uh, I would crash. And then I'd get back home, do my drinking, and then the next thing I would do is go to sleep for the next five hours. And now, as it is, I get off of dialysis in the morning and start working immediately. So tell us a little bit about Next Stage users and, you know, what your members, how they participate. And I know you have a great bulletin board where people get information, but tell us a little bit about that. First started out uh, just being a a listserv on Yahoo, and it it grew pretty rapidly. And we, uh, we supported each other almost on an instantaneous uh, basis, you know, someone would write in a question, and before you knew it, uh, ten people would be answering. And not that everybody's advice is is the right advice, but but there were a lot of different people that were contributing to each other. So we basically first started as a support group, and uh, not only just in terms of supporting each other, but also being uh, interme- intermediaries to the company itself when when there was a problem. And, of course, with NextAge being a fairly young company and going through changes and, and coming out with new technological advances there, you know, whether it be a cartridge or whatever, you know, there, there typically were some problems. So we were able to establish a rapport with uh, management within NextAge. So we were able to speak for our uh, members and and try to smooth out things where there was a problem or not. And then from there, it it grew pretty rapidly once we started our own website, which is nextageusers.com. And, and of course, we have a public forum there. One of the reasons we have a public forum is very early on, the members of the listserv took a vote and decided that they wanted to keep the listserv as private as possible because a lot of them were concerned about retribution from either their dialysis center or even the company for that matter, whether rightly or wrongly. And so we kept the listserv private to actual users and care partners. And we did go through a a very uh, limited screening process to make sure that that people were actual users or care partners. In fact, there were times when people from NextAge tried to join and we recognized it and, and we wouldn't let them join. And uh, But what we did was once we started the website, we, we started our own public forum because there were a lot of people who had not been able to get into the listserv. And so then we started the public forum where everybody can join no matter what. And then from there, um, Facebook came. And so it, uh, the group is getting larger and larger. And it's almost like family in a way, where a lot of 
people know each other. Uh, they are um, communicating with, with each other privately, and um, and it's it's a it's a great resource for people. And and one of the things that I think we've been very successful doing is pulling people through training when they have a lot of doubts about whether they're even going to be able to do it. And with peer-to-peer support like this, where where people can actually talk to others who've been through what they're going through now is, is incredibly helpful. Um, earlier this year, very early this year, we also started a buddy program where people can sign up and they're actually assigned a buddy uh, whether they want to have uh, someone of the same gender or the same geographical location or whatever. And, and that's proven to be very successful because a lot of people, you know, have a particular problem, including me, for example, and I've been on Next Stage for close to six years. Well, I think everybody has a rough time at one time or another. And I can get on the phone, I can talk to my buddy, and, and we can help each other out that way. Well, yeah, in a crisis, it gets a little frightening. I mean, last year, as you know, I was on home dialysis for about six months, and the first time the dialyzer clotted, I mean, you know, you kind of freeze. You're like, oh, my goodness. Um, you know, and, you know, then you deal with it. But it's just a little frightening at times to um, some of the things that you encounter because it is happening to your body. Oh, absolutely. And even after all this time, you know, I could have something go wrong. Uh, I mean, I think home dialysis uh, is, is a learning process. And I think throughout the throughout the years, I've probably changed my own protocol differently uh, as time goes on. In fact, I just started doing something different uh, a couple weeks ago where I thought it would be better. And so it's, it's always, it's on-the-job training. And on the you job can never training. learn everything that you need to learn in uh, the actual training period. You yeah. go home and uh, you just deal with things as they come along. Uh, I've had some, you know, I remember the first time I, I had a problem, a, a blood problem in in center when I either had a venous needle dislodgement or after after my treatment I'd go and uh, and, and go away myself and all of a sudden I start bleeding and say, Oh my goodness, you know, all this blood and then I'd probably just slap my arm or something and try to stop it. Well now at this point I'm saying, Oh, it's just blood, big deal. You know, <laughs> not that you want to lose any, but you know, you get used to it. And it doesn't have to be the end of the world. And, and all of us have accidents. Um, I need to just remember not to watch football when I'm, uh, when I'm dialyzing because uh, I remember having a terrible accident when I was watching football. And there was just blood spraying all over the place in my glasses, over, over my head, onto the wall. I mean, it was just a disaster. That, that sounds uh, like a... You just cannot get distracted. Well, were you winning or losing? Well, they, they, of course they were losing. Oh, okay. I was like, I don't know if you were overjoyed with something, or you. I guess you were just making your blood pressure go up and your needles popped out, huh? Well, you know, I, 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 you know, 
you know, I, I wanted to flip the needle, and uh, I have so much confidence in myself, and I didn't shut the pump off, and before I knew it, oh. it, just, it just flew out. Oh, that's, yeah, that's a, a little crazy. Now, how important, I mean, is a big part of your group care partners? Uh, we have a large group that are care partners, uh, and, and you find that care partners uh, sometimes are the driving force of their partner doing dialysis at home. On the other hand, there's a lot of people who the problem is the care partner. Um, unfortunately, I, I think that everybody thinks they need a care partner rather than trying to do it themselves, because I think the more you do yourself, the more you empower yourself, and the better you feel about yourself. Um, the one thing that I have noticed about people at home is that they take an active interest or more of an active interest in their therapy and they learn more about the process. Whereas most people that I've seen in a dialysis center usually get to the center, stick their arm out, get cannulated, go to sleep or watch TV or whatever, and then when the session is over, they put their arm back out and the technician will hold their needles. And, and they don't really learn much about the process at all. So I think what we're done by people going home is I think people are becoming much more educated about the entire process of dialysis. And, and I think because of that, they're better able to cope with it. And not only that, a lot of people actually experiment to try to get the best therapy session that they can in terms of modifying times, modifying the amount of dialysate, things like that, which um, which most people wouldn't do on their own, especially if you're in center. Now, one of the things that you organized, Rich, was a cruise. Can you uh, tell a little bit about that? Oh, was that ever fantastic. <laughs> yeah, we, we spent quite a bit of time organizing our first Freedom Cruise uh, in which... Uh, we, we, I mean, we're a little disappointed that more people didn't come, but we did have 10 dialyzers come with their partners and a few other friends. And so when we got to the dock and we saw how much equipment there was and how much supplies there were, we were just in awe. And what was really great about it is that people got time to spend with each other, talking about their histories, talking about their hopes, and talking about their lives and, and what home dialysis has done for themselves. And, and we literally made lifelong friends on, on that uh, cruise. And besides that, many of us did things that we never thought we would ever be able to do. Uh, I know I was able to go snorkeling for the first time, and, and I just loved it. Uh, another person went uh, scuba diving for the first time. Um, there were some people who went, um, oh, now I forget what it is. That's one of my problems. I, with renal failure, I sometimes forget things. But uh, you, you were partying on the deck till late hours in the night. Well, I was doing that. Uh, that's because doing nocturnal, I was able to sleep overnight. But, you know, even people went zip lining. They went, you know... And, and since then, 
people have been doing some incredible things, you know, going rafting with their machines in the ore boat or, or doing rappelling down uh, mountains. You know, I used to rappel all the time when I was on peritoneal. Um, I used to go out to Joshua Tree here in Los Angeles. Uh, it's a little bit out of Los Angeles, and it was pretty amazing. Um, and, you know, I had the PD catheter, and, you know, people are like, are you going to hook the catheter on a rock? I mean, you know, that sounds pretty morbid. But um, And I'm like, you know, y- there's things you can do, but, you know, these questions always come up from people who aren't informed. I'm like, you know, I would probably more likely, you know, crash and hit my head than hurt myself because of dialysis or something involved with dialysis. And and it's good because it helps educate people that, you know, you can do pretty much anything. You just have to have, uh, you know, you have to just be a little bit more careful if you have a fistula or if you have a PD catheter. You have to be more careful. But, but the important thing is that you're showing people that they could live a quality life. Yeah, you can still have fun. <laughs> and have fun, right. I mean, we're not supposed to be, you know, living to dialyze. We're, di- we're dialyzing to live, and, you know, and, and that has a lot of connotations to it. And, uh, I mean, when we were on the cruise, uh, we were in the jungles of Belize, and um, you know, I've had arthritis in my knees for a very long time. And I was having problems going up and down, and I said, "That's it. This year, I'm going to have my I'm going to have my knees redone." And in 2010, I actually had two knee replacements. Well, I guess we have something in common. I had that done in 2004. Um, I don't know about you, but they had a buy one get one free special at the center, um, and I can't turn down a sale. A knee replacement, a buy one? Yeah, they'd buy one, get one free. It was a deal. I mean, hey, it was 50% off. I can't pass up that. But it is, I mean, you start to feel bad. And, I mean, my knee started arthritis and started to get bad. And I had to have both knees replaced in 2004. And it is, but, you know, it's great. They they fixed them and they don't hurt anymore. And, you know. Wonderful to be able to walk without pain. It's pretty amazing. I mean, I, it's hard to... Uh, ride a bike because I'm shorter and I don't have the span, so I need a recumbent bike. But other than that, I mean, it was textbook. But I'll, I'll tell you, I mean, uh, doing rehab after a knee replacement is not easy. And and uh, I, I'm, I think it may have been one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life. Yeah, I always said the first month, if I could have got to the window, I probably would have jumped out. But, um, uh, you know, six weeks after the knee replacement, I put on a prom here in Los Angeles. And three months after double knee replacements, I flew to Florida and gave a keynote speech. So, so the, you know, it, it is, it's just you have to go through the process just like dialysis, transplant. You know, you just have to stick with it. And, uh, you know, uh, there is a, a light at the end of the tunnel. What was really great uh, this year, other than the fact that we had our second annual meetup and conference, was a couple weeks after that, uh, my wife and I actually went to Sweden for a week. And I, I went to participate in a uh, in an advisory committee for a company involved with dialysis. And then after that, I, I actually had the opportunity to be to speak in front of uh, nurses and, and nephrologists from 10 different hospitals. And it was really exciting to be able to do that. And uh, I mean, I'm sure you, you, if you feel the same way whenever you get in front of people to be able to talk about 
you know, how life can be with kidney failure. And, you know, people just need to believe in themselves. And, I mean, there is hope that that people can live good lives. It's, it's always empowering to be able to share your story and help, you know, see that you can overcome the obstacles. And it helps me make sense of, you know, all the tragedy that I've been through. I mean, an illness is a tragedy. And uh, it helps you make sense of it. Well, uh, you know, in closing, tell us a little bit about what your goals are for Next Stage users and um, if people want to get involved. Well, I mean, we are uh, in the process right now of, of changing our name to Home Dialyzers United. And we're already planning our, our next conference for next year. I've got some other things that I am doing myself. Myself, uh, I'll be going back to Sweden in May to do a, an hour and quarter talk on, on home dialysis at a national congress, which I'm kind of excited about, even though I'm a little, you know, intimidated by speaking to people who primary, whose primary language is, is Swedish, but fortunately most of the people there do speak English as well. Um, we also have another website that's going to be coming up fairly soon, which is called Faces of Dialysis. And what it is, is a place where we can collect stories of people's lives on dialysis in by picture-telling. And, and people are going to be providing us with several pictures with uh, some comments to put those pictures in context in terms of what they're doing in that picture, why that picture is important to them, and what dialysis has meant to their lives. And we're hoping that um, it can grow to the point where it has a real influence on people who have kidney disease, who may be facing kidney failure, and to show them that people can live well. Um, the other things that we're doing is we're we're expanding on our on our public advocacy and and doing more and more in D.C. as well and uh, getting involved in in other organizations like uh, Friends of the Congressional Kidney Caucus and um, we'll be starting our own webinars pretty soon and and we're hoping to use the webinar platform not only to educate patients. But we're hoping to be able to educate nephrologists and nurses, too. It's, it's, uh, it's incredible how many nephrologists don't really know about home dialysis. And, uh, and of course, the easiest thing a nephrologist can do when they get a patient who is requiring some kind of renal replacement therapy is to get on the phone and call up the social worker and say, get me another slot for this person. Well, we're, we want to try to change that and, and, and hopefully, you know, get to nephrologists. And it's really kind of interesting because 90% of nephrologists uh, have already surveyed said that uh, they would not do conventional hemodialysis if they had to do dialysis themselves. So the real question is, why are only 9% of their patients at home? And I think we have to challenge the doctors. I think we have to challenge CMS. And we have to challenge providers as well. And we have to educate patients at the same time that there's something 
better out there for them. Yeah, it's 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 all about choice and uh, you know empowering people. And well, Rich, thank you so much for the good work that you do to help fellow patients. I mean. Uh, what I mentioned in my book, Chronically Happy, was that you take help, but then when you get to a certain point, you give help. And giving back is such a, an important part of, you know, for me, for being happy. And, you know, if people can learn that and learn it from, you know, patient advocates, um, you know, it's very rewarding. Well, well thank you, Lori, and, and thank, thank you for everything that you've done. I mean, you have you've led the way for so many other patients to become advocates and whether it's in RSN or it's outside of RSN, you have done so much good for people, and, and, and we have to thank you. You've been an inspiration to all of us. Well, thank you very much, and um, I look forward to seeing you in the future. Thank you, Lori. Me too. We can control our own destiny. We can take charge of our health and ask questions about our medical options. We can form partnerships with our health care team. We can take steps towards self-improvement. We can be sensitive to the impact of our disease on our family. We can sing, dance, laugh, and enjoy our lives. We can appreciate today and look forward to tomorrow. We can help and support our fellow patients. We can pursue our hopes and dreams. We can make a difference. 